Welcome to Legal Toolkit, bringing you the latest legal trends and business initiatives to help you manage your law firm with your host, Jared Correa. You're listening to Legal Talk Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to a new episode of the Legal Toolkit here on the Legal Talk Network. If you were looking for the new season of Parks and Recreation on NBC, I have some really bad news. If you're a returning listener, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener, hopefully you'll become a long-time listener. And if you're Rick Astley, keep rolling. As always, I'm your host, Jared Correa, and in addition to casting this pod, I am the founder and CEO of Red Cave Law Firm Consulting, which offers subscription-based law practice management consulting and technology services for law firms. Check us out at redcavelegal.com to learn more. You can buy my book, Twitter in One Hour for Lawyers, from the American Bar Association on iTunes, at Amazon, and probably at Bookends 2 in Ada, Oklahoma, which I've heard is much better than Bookends 1. Here on the Legal Toolkit, we provide you each month with a new tool to add to your own legal toolkit so that your practices will become more and more like best practices. In this episode, we're going to talk about access to justice and access to attorneys. Very relevant, popular subject and a timely one as well. But before I introduce today's guest, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. This podcast is brought to you by Answer One, a leading virtual receptionist and answering services provider for lawyers. You can find out more by giving them a call at 800-ANSWER-1 or online at www.answerone.com. That's www.answer1.com. This podcast is also brought to you by Amicus Attorney, developers of legal practice management software. Let Amicus help you run your practice so you can focus on what you do best, practice law. Visit amicusattorney.com and get started today. Finally, Scorpion crushes the standard for law firm online marketing with proven campaign strategies to get attorneys better cases from the internet. Partner with Scorpion to get an award-winning website and ROI positive marketing programs today. Visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast. And because you can't watch Game of Thrones all the time, let's return to the Legal Toolkit. Today, I've invited Carrie Norris of Legal Shield onto the show. Carrie is the Senior Vice President for Regulatory Affairs and the Chief Legal Officer at Legal Shield. Carrie joined Legal Shield as its first general counsel in 2003. She oversees the company's legal affairs, including litigation, corporate legal matters, and regulatory and governmental matters. She also serves as an advisor to the company's executive management team. Prior to joining Legal Shield, Carrie was an associate attorney at Crow and Dunleavy in Oklahoma City and at Hunton and Williams in Raleigh, North Carolina, where she specialized in commercial litigation, intellectual property litigation, and creditors' rights and bankruptcy. Carrie is a member of the Association of Corporate Counsel of America, the American Bar Association, the Oklahoma and North Carolina Bar Associations, and the Pontotoc County Bar Association. And I think I even pronounced that correctly. She serves on the American Bar Association Standing Committee on Group and Prepaid Legal Services and is currently serving as president-elect of the Group Legal Services Association. Additionally, Carrie is a regular participant in the Direct Selling Association's Regulatory and General Counsel Forum. She earned a BA in English, way to go, and a JD, both summa cum laude, from Oklahoma City University. She's been busy. Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jared. It's a pleasure to be here today. All right, let's dive right into it. Let's start by talking about a truly exciting subject, drag racing. No, I'm just kidding. Don't turn off your computers. Let's talk about retainers. How about that? Carrie, is the traditional law firm retainer outdated, in your opinion? 
Thanks, Jared. I like your idea of drag racing. It might be a little bit cooler, but let's talk about legal (laughs) services. Maybe everyone will stay dialed in for a little while. You asked about the traditional law firm retainer. And I would say that for some, the traditional retainer model is just fine. Large corporations, wealthy individuals with longstanding relationships, and large law firms. They've all worked together to make the retainer model manageable. You can add in some fixed fees and maybe some alternative billing structures, and that's helped those constituents live with the retainer model. But for most citizens, for those that don't have a lawyer on retainer and can't afford high monthly bills, the traditional retainer model remains a barrier to legal services. Lawyers, particularly those in small or solo firms, must meet the client demands and the client expectations. Clients need to find a lawyer, and they need to be able to afford the lawyer. Some newer ideas have surfaced, including fixed fees for certain legal services, as well as limited representation engagements. These are alternatives to the high hourly rates and monthly retainers in the traditional model, and they must be considered and employed to make sure that the consumers can afford the legal advice and legal services that they're looking for. So it sounds to me like the retainer is not quite dead necessarily, but what you need to do is to be mixing in other types of service provision and payment models. Did you say that's about right? I think that's exactly right. I don't think the traditional retainer model or the traditional practice of law is dead by any means, but there's a whole new area of law that has to be used and made available to the 80% of people out there who aren't in the traditional legal space. So I think there's a a new economy, a new model that's coming. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about that. What, to your mind, does it mean to be active in the on-demand economy? I don't see lawyers using that phrase too often. Can you explain that quickly for our audience? I can, and I think you're right. It's not a term that you hear a lot of lawyers talking about, but I think it's Mm. certainly a model that works for lawyers and law firms. There may be a need for true demand economy legal services, which is you know, connecting one client with one legal need on one legal matter to a particular attorney. Mm. This is where limited representation arrangements are critical. And it's also an effort to make every state's right. There has to be an effort to make every state's regulation allow for this type of representation. Legal protection and legal services are going to have to use the on-demand economy for more than just a quick in-and-out legal services. In other words, lawyers are uniquely positioned because of their training to give counsel and advice. Uh, that's the old message of, of attorney and counselor law. Mm-hmm. But I don't believe that it's just a one-and-done mentality for legal services. It must be relationship-driven. The on-demand economy and technology can open the doors and make access to justice more available for the particular legal need. And then the lawyers can step in and provide the relationship so that the advice and counsel to those clients is heard and understood and used. And so technology and demand economy makes the relationship between attorneys and clients more affordable, obviously much faster and much easier. And attorneys are particularly bad at attorney-client relationships, wouldn't you say? They're much more comfortable doing substantive legal work. So that's going to be a different type of practice that lawyers are going to have to adapt to, right? I think you're onto something there. And, you know, traditionally, uh, the legal profession, much like the medical profession, doesn't learn bedside manners, as they would say, in school. (laughs) They don't teach it to you in law school, and they don't teach it to you in medical school. Mm -hmm. But the consumers are expecting that today. And so technology has to be a way to facilitate that relationship, not to be a barrier to it. And I think 
I think we're going to see a dramatic shift. I mean, some of the things we do in our business, we survey our customers. We ask them what worked, what didn't work. Did the attorney call them back and speak to them in plain mm-hmm. English rather than a bunch mm-hmm. of legalese that no one understands? I think yeah. technology makes all that available, and the consumers are going to demand that as we go forward, and lawyers are going to have to come along with that. Yes, that's a big challenge for lawyers and everyone, frankly, is trying to find out a way to be personable while you're using technology. I mean, just like this wondrous podcast we're having today where you're like 2,000 miles away from where I am and we're having a nice little conversation. One thing I wanted to pick up on that you were talking about, though, which I think is interesting, is you're talking about expanding this idea of an on-demand economy from limited scope representation. And a lot of folks focus on the limited scope piece of this, I think, at least the A to J community. But you think that needs to be broader and lawyers need to start bringing this ideal of an on-demand economy into more areas that are practiced, right? I think it should be broader. Um, I think we're mm-hmm. finding in the states where it's allowed, right, that, that yes. obviously limited scope representation is very beneficial to the client. Mm-hmm. And so I think is that it kind of spreads and we see more and more of it happen. Um, I think it's going to benefit the consumer and ultimately it's going to make the attorneys be able to find and deliver real services to real clients. Yeah, it almost forces them to adopt new service models growing out from the limited scope. So on a related note, then, that's an interesting point that you just brought up. So you've got these lawyers who are theoretically going to be on-demand service providers moving forward more and more often. How are they going to deal with state and global regulations on technology and data management, which a lot of law firms, especially small law firms, don't really concentrate on? You're exactly right. It's not an issue that smaller firms really pay attention to. But I think regulation is catching up to mm-hmm. newer on-demand technologies. I mean, we see it in the ride-sharing space. Uh, when that business took off, few states regulated. Today, states are watching and leaning in with appropriate regulations when needed. I think in law, it's going to be much the same. Many companies, like traditional legal plans, including Legal Shield, as well as newer legal service providers, mm-hmm. continue to evolve and create new solutions to this age-old problem. Regulators are starting to lean in. State bars, such as New Jersey's, issued a recent ethics opinion um, and looking at tech companies and the services they provide. But we have to trust and expect that regulators continue to protect the consumer, but only regulate when there's a genuine risk. The ABA pointed out in their futures report in 2016 that regulation must work to provide more solutions, not fewer, to the access to justice problem. So I think it's going to catch up and people are starting to talk about it. Anytime there's a change and a shift in how things are done, regulation will catch up. And I think as long as the regulators as well as the tech companies and the innovators are focused in on what's really good for the consumer, I think it'll be a positive. Um, I know here at Legal Shield, we support the ABA as well as the state bars when they're making positive regulation changes for the industry. There's a balance, and I think the market's going to find where that balance is and what the proper solutions are. The new economy is going to provide new solutions all the time, and regulations are going to follow. We just hope and expect that those regulations follow and keep them when they're appropriate to be a positive, not a a restraint to development. That's fair. Trust the regulators, huh? Have you ever read 1984? (laughs) (laughs) I have once upon a time. (laughs) You're an English major. All right. On that note, let's take a break. This is all the stuff you need to buy. Do 
you feel like your marketing efforts aren't getting you the high value cases your firm deserves? For over 15 years, Scorpion has helped thousands of law firms just like yours to attract new cases and to grow their practices. As a Google Premier Partner and winner of Google's Platform Innovator Award, Scorpion has the right resources and technology to aggressively market your law firm and to generate better cases from the internet. For more information, visit scorpionlegal.com forward slash podcast today. These days, law firms need to do more with less. Making this happen requires efficient, cost-effective tools that work the way that you do. Available as a desktop or cloud solution, Amicus Attorney Practice Management Software improves the organization of your firm and drives your bottom line. Visit amicusattorney.com to discover how you can join the thousands of lawyers who rely on Amicus every day to run their practices. Hey, thanks for coming back. We were here the whole time. Let's reset with Carrie Norris of Legal Shield, who is here to talk about access to justice and access to attorneys. All right, Carrie, so let's extend this conversation about technology in the legal field because everybody's talking about this. In terms of access to legal protection, how does technology assist that process? Well, that's a great question. And I think everyone would agree that there's an access to justice problem. It's kind of A to J is all the rage mm-hmm. in the legal community. The ABA Commission on the Future of Law issued its report in 2016 identifying the problem and setting forth several solutions. Each and every solution, rightfully so, involves technology. Lawyers traditionally have been inaccessible because they're hard to find, hard to connect with, as you said earlier, Mm -hmm. and sometimes even harder to trust. So we need to use technology to break those barriers. So some of the ways it's happened, you know, lawyers traditionally advertise on billboards, yellow pages, and television. And it was really left to the client to know what to do next. Like they had to do an affirmative Mm. call to reach out to those lawyers. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, technology is critical in fixing this problem. With technologies, the lawyers are more visible than ever before. Social media and the Internet now put more lawyers in front of the clients. But technology has to go further. It must be a critical piece to connecting the clients and the lawyers and making it faster and easier than ever before. Mobile applications, such as the Legal Shield mobile app, can put a law firm in the palm of your hand. Other service providers are doing similar things. By pressing a button, a customer can call an attorney for any legal issue. Mobile apps, web interfaces, client portals, all of these must be solutions to be employed to make it faster and easier for the client to share critical documents, mm-hmm. the information that passes between the attorney and client, and all the materials related to their legal matter or their case. And so I think we're headed in the right direction, and everyone's talking about it, but technology is really going to be the way that we connect the clients with the lawyers. Yeah, I think that's a good point. You mentioned something before that I've never heard of before. Yellow pages? What are those? Well, maybe it tells you my age a little bit. (laughs) No, I know what yellow pages are. There used to be a thing called the phone book. (laughs) Really? I get some of those occasionally. Okay. Let's move on. Next subject. So let's talk about client demographics, right? You talked a little bit about how technology offers new and exciting ways to connect with clients. So let's talk about client demographics and what are the best demographics in terms of reaching people through technology. Where are you going to hit if you're a lawyer? Well, the easy answer, but it's not really an answer, which is every demographic group, which (laughs) is every person. The average person, a legal issue is best served by technology. And here's why. Law happens every day. And when it does, it's the most important issue in your day Mm -hmm. or in your family's life. 
We know that employee productivity goes down when the employee faces a legal issue. They don't come to work. They're distracted by telephone calls. So access to legal services is a business issue as well as a personal issue. Mm -hmm. So the easier we can make the legal services available, the faster everyday legal issues can be addressed. I would say legal services aren't just for the wealthy or the poor. They're for everyone. The ABA and their Futures Commission report talks about about 80% of the American public suffers from being able to access a lawyer. Hmm. And so, you know, if you're asking who is it that's going to be best served by technology for legal services, it's really the 80%, the people that don't know a lawyer, that are looking for a lawyer to understand their legal issue and looking for a lawyer to help them find a solution. A law happens. I like that. Have you trademarked that yet? Not yet, but maybe I should. I might need to call a lawyer. Oh, man, you need to get on that. They're going to be all over Ada, Oklahoma. I promise you. All right. Let's talk a little bit about um, lawyers and technology. I know we've addressed this. Lawyers need to use technology, right? Lawyers are not necessarily the most personable people when it comes to attorney-client relationships, but they got to step up their game as far as that's concerned. With respect to what you've seen, how well or poorly are lawyers adopting these new incursions of technology or, or more likely adapting to them? potentially by being forced to adapt to them. Right. Well, I think you raise a really interesting question. And as you know, law is an old profession, steeped in tradition (laughs) and precedent. They use big words that average people don't use. You know, how to do all those things is what lawyers are taught in law school. But most of us never became a lawyer because we wanted to talk like a lawyer or be a lawyer. It's because we had an inner drive to do something positive to help other people. Mm -hmm. Because of the traditional and practice of law and motivation, I think most lawyers are embracing technology. Uh, There certainly are in their offices and their law practices. As you know, every firm today uses email, document management systems. They use billing systems. They all use mobile technology. You know, maybe not as fast to adopt as we would like, but they're, Mm -hmm. they're all coming along. You know, the success of technology and the rise in technology will depend on bar associations and regulators. Mm -hmm. increasing their openness to new technologies. You know, the ABA right now is adapting its advertising rules to address online advertising, which when the advertising rules were written for lawyers, the Internet didn't even exist. And so state bars are starting to address the cloud and where can an attorney keep their records. The cloud and the Internet didn't exist for a long time. And so I think lawyers are seeing that technology can help them in their day-to-day practice and also help them in their bedside manner with their clients, and they are starting to adapt. You know, I laugh that, you know, there are some attorneys who still question whether or not they can use email to communicate with clients or whether they can store information in the cloud. Mm -hmm. It just takes time for people to adapt. I would say the legal industry is embracing. You mentioned some of it's they're coming along rather than leading the change. <laughs> yes. But I think they are coming along. Uh, and out there, you always have innovators and you always have leaders. And they are out there in the legal industry, whether they're in firms, whether they're in tech companies, whether they're in legal service companies like ours, or whether they are in a small and solo practice firm. They are out there because they understand how it can better their life and their practice and also better the lives of their consumers if they use and take advantage of technology. That's a good point you make about the bar associations hopefully becoming leaders in this space. And we'll talk a little bit about that after we take our next break. I hope every lawyer out there who's listening to this podcast is using email. 
for God's sakes, if you're not using email, use email. <laughs> Some people are trying to move beyond email already, so at least get yourself into an email account. But in all honesty, I'm kind of right there with you. So while I stare at an iPad Pro like a big dumb animal, you can listen to more information from our sponsors. Is your firm experiencing missed calls, empty voicemail boxes, and potential clients you'll never hear from again? Enter Answer One Virtual Receptionists. They're more than just an answering service. Answer One's available 24-7. They can even schedule appointments, respond to emails, integrate with Clio, and much more. Answer One helps make sure your clients have the experience they deserve. Give them a call yourself at 800-ANSWER-1 or visit them at answerone.com forward slash podcast for a special offer. Hey, you came back again. How are your double stuff Oreos? Mine were good. Let's re-engage now with Carrie Norris of Legal Shield over questions of access to justice and access to attorneys. So let's turn the page a little bit before we come back to this question of bar associations. Carrie, how does the fact that more and more Americans are engaging in the gig economy affecting the way that consumers pay or will pay for legal services. And if you want, you can start by explaining what the gig economy is to folks out there who are not familiar with that term. Sure. So um, I do think consumers and lawyers alike are coming to the gig economy. We look at the gig economy in my job as really it's a way to connect a known need to a service provider who's willing to provide that need, often one time, you know, to Mm -hmm. connect them for a one-time project, kind of like the old, quote, gig would be, you know, you have a gig. And so that's sort of the economy. And I'm going to be honest, today's consumers expect the gig economy demand services. That's how they, that's how they find their other services, right? The the taxis are kind of going away. Uh, We no Mm -hmm. longer necessarily call an 1-800 number to bill a a hotel room. We are able to use online or gig services for one night stay. So Mm -hmm. consumers are used to having their services that way. So I honestly think that they want to access an attorney. They want to talk about their issue and find a solution in exactly that same way. They want to do it all right by their mobile phone, and they want to do it for a fair fee. That's mm-hmm. not going to cost them a lot of money. So legal plans such as Legal Shield have been doing this for decades, connecting an individual with a lawyer who's able to service the particular need they might have. It's all about meeting the consumer where they are and communicating in the method or the way that they want and providing the solution at a price that they can pay. Um, I think legal services companies are adapting to meet the consumer right there in that gig economy. And here's how we can push that earlier question we had about how lawyers are going to work moving forward. Are lawyers themselves headed toward a future where the majority of them are going to be working in a gig economy, especially solo and small firm lawyers? Well, I, I don't have a crystal ball, and so I, I don't know that I would say a majority of them are going to be working in the gig economy, but I certainly think they're going to be working in an economy that's consumer demand-driven, which is sort of the underlying of the gig mm-hmm. economy. So I don't know that I see the legal services going quite as far as some of the other things. Yeah. So it's not an alarm for attorneys. It's really an opportunity. You know, If they wish to find clients for particular legal services in a different way, the gig economy is the perfect way to do it, and it gives them more access to more clients than ever before. But I would add that once an attorney is connected with a client in a gig economy, 
It's still imperative that that attorney and that client create a relationship. And you alluded to this a little bit earlier, Jared, that attorneys aren't well known for being able to build that relationship or being the most personable <laughs> of people. Yes. You know, but, but I think in this new economy, although everybody wants it quick and the easy and an affordable rate by their telephone, they still want a relationship so that they can trust that lawyer and know that that lawyer is giving them sound advice for the better of the whole, not just, you know, how to get out of jail necessarily, but how to, you know, improve their life so that they don't end up there again. And so I think that, you know, we at Legal Shield and I think most lawyers understand that law is relational. It's not just transactional. You know, mm-hmm. there's and so there's a yep. merger between this gig economy service, which is the consumer need driven, and the practice of law. I think it's gonna be a great door opener, but there's always going to be a need for the lawyer on the other side to create the trusting relationship of value. So technology is going to move this direction, and lawyers must come along. Some will come along willingly. Some are already there. And those that don't will be left behind. But I think consumers and lawyers can both win in this kind of a model as we build relationships and trust for a relational business, not just a transactional business. All right, lawyers, you heard Carrie brush up on your soft skills. All right, last question. Let's revisit this issue of bar associations. You're clearly very involved in bar associations. You belong to bar associations I can't even pronounce. What are bar associations doing, at least the ones you're involved in, to improve access to justice? And in your opinion, are they doing enough? Well, let me answer the second question first, which is, are they doing enough? And I would say, not yet. You know, Mm -hmm. they're starting to, and we are starting to as a profession, but it's not a new problem. And so we're coming along and we're catching up. But we could be doing more. This is a huge problem. As I mentioned earlier, the ABA has figured out that at least 80% of the population doesn't have access to affordable legal services. So that's a big problem. So who, who's kind of been the leader in this? Well, obviously, the American Bar Association has been very active. The Commission on the Future of Legal Services began in 2014. Uh, they started a two-year effort in which then 2016 they issued a report on the critical need of the legal profession to meet consumer needs and the critical need to provide affordable legal services. State bar associations are also very active. Most states have created an Access to Justice Commission. I am in Oklahoma, and we have an Access to Justice Commission here. The members are appointed by the governor and the Supreme Court, and they are working tirelessly to address legal service accessibility for both low-income and moderate-income citizens. When we talk about access to justice, we can't just think of it as the traditional, oh, pro bono and legal aid will help, because that's what we've looked at for such a long time, and it's not enough. Mm -hmm. So state bars, these access to justice commissions, are starting to look at how do we meet the moderate means people and provide legal services to them. You know, interestingly, courts are getting involved, and they're trying new practices. They have, uh, in a couple of places, they have what they call uh, courthouse facilitators, and they're um, they're involving mediators into the process. Yep. And these are services for no charge or very low charge to the consumer to help them find their way around the courtroom so that it's a little bit of the consumer economy where they can do some things themselves, and then when they need qualified legal services, then they're an additive, and they help them because you have to have both. You know, the consumer today wants to be able to understand the issue, but they need the lawyer to come in. So courts have been heavily involved. 
there's kind of industry associations, right? Uh, there's the Group mm-hmm. Legal Services Association that's focused in on this issue of access to justice and providing alternative yeah. ways, such as legal plans or group legal plans or union plans, alternative methods to provide affordable legal services. And honestly, mm-hmm. things like this podcast where people are talking about the issue yes. and really trying to figure out for the first time that, you know, especially this podcast, especially this podcast. Exactly. And so, <laughs> you know, there, there's a whole new thing going on out there that, you know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, nobody talked about it. It was kind mm-hmm. of, you know, the ugly little secret of the legal profession, which is that most people couldn't afford the lawyers. Yep. So thankfully, the bar associations, the state justice commissions, industry associations, and quite honestly, industry and tech leaders are talking about the issue. Mm-hmm. And once we can educate people that there is affordable legal services out there, then I think it's going to slowly but surely, and in some cases faster than lawyers might be comfortable with, it's going to work. And we're going to have people understanding and recognizing that they have access to justice if they just look for it. That's a great point that you make. I mean, just having the conversation is a sea change from where things have been. And so let me take that as a segue to say thank you for coming in to talk with me today. This was fun. So that's going to do it for another episode of the Legal Toolkit. It was another interesting exploration for sure. I'll be back on future shows with further insights into my soul, the soul of America, and the legal market. However, if you're feeling nostalgic for my dulcet tones, you can check out our entire show archive anytime you want at LegalTalkNetwork.com. So thanks again to Carrie Norris of Legal Shield for guesting on the show today. Carrie, can you tell folks a little bit about Legal Shield and what you do over there? Absolutely. And Jared, thank you so much for having me on today to, to visit with you about this critical issue. So Legal Shield is a 45-year-old startup. Uh, we began in 1972 marketing legal plans to the average consumer. We now offer monthly subscription plans for just about $20 a month about 1.7 million households and more than 40,000 small businesses. We provide access through a mobile app to a vetted, accountable, and responsive law firm in all 50 states and four provinces of Canada. And when necessary, we rely on a network of thousands of lawyers in every area of law to service any issue that our members or customers might need. We've been providing access to justice for a long time, and we have no intention of resting on our laurels. We are aggressively working to add more technology to serve our members and to serve our attorney network. We continue to improve our education opportunities for our customers and for our attorneys. And we're also improving our corporate infrastructure so that we can stay ahead of the issues and stay up with the latest technology. We're really proud of our history, but we're really excited about our future. Um, And I think conversations like this, are exciting, and I look forward to seeing where we go in the future. So thank you, Jared, for your time to discuss access to justice and, of course, the role and play of technology in that. So thank you. Yeah. Oh, my pleasure. Very impressive, Carrie. And this was a fun conversation. So thanks again to Carrie Norris of Legal Shield. And finally, thanks to all of you out there for listening. And just remember, nothing says summer like a giant margarita or several. Thanks for listening to Legal Toolkit, produced by the broadcast professionals at Legal Talk Network. Join host Jared Correa for his next podcast covering the current business trends for law firms. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalTalkNetwork.com. Subscribe via iTunes and RSS. 
Find Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. Or download the free app from Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. The Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast, your resource for the tips and tactical advice you need to grow your business. Plus, keep up with the news and commentary you crave to stay one step ahead. It's hosted by me, Guy Sakalakis. And me, Conrad Song. Every other week, we break down the issues holding back your marketing strategy and talk about the changes you need to be prepared for. Check out the Lunch Hour Legal Marketing Podcast wherever you get your podcasts or on YouTube.